Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. Good to see you. Thanks for coming and being with us this morning. It's a fun morning. Uh, every so often, we want to pause and highlight one of our ministries. Uh, one of our core identities as a church is servants, and we believe that there's, there's things that have to get done in a church, like in any healthy family, but uh, being a servant is one of the primary ways God transforms us and makes us who he's created us to be. And so we like being able to slow down for a second and talk to some of the folks that are behind the scenes and helping make the church run. And boy, we got a good one for you today. Y'all know that Steve Harvey line? He says it every time he starts Family Feud. I can't be a good one every time, Steve. Uh, but anyway, we have the man. You may recognize his beard, the myth. Uh, Deacon Ron Williams is going to come up with us. Come on now. In many ways, Ron runs the church. Uh, or make sure the church runs. And uh, so he's one of our leaders on the Connect ministry, and we just wanted to hear from him a little bit. So, Ron, if, if you could give us, a, for someone who has no idea, what is the Connect ministry? What do you guys do? Well, Connect really, um, I think the purpose of the Connect is I, I think that we serve to introduce people to the body of Christ. As they come in, we, we greet people. We, there are a number of things we do here. A lot of things are behind the scenes. For instance, a lot of you don't realize, but we have somebody that's here every Sunday morning at the latest by 7.30 just to make coffee for you guys. To me, that's a pretty big commitment. Yeah. <laughs> every week. Um, but they're here every week. We're, we're the people that are at the doors out here to greet you, at the doors here, at the welcome table. We're rounding up people to take care of the offering and the communion. We're just seeing to it that things are getting done and that everybody has a pleasant experience, if possible, when they come to church on Sunday. How many of you have had a rough morning on the drive-in? And you need somebody to smile and say, hey, dude, everything's good. Mm. It's all going to work. Mm. That's great. Yeah, I remember when I realized there wasn't a coffee fairy that came to the church, or there wasn't a trash fairy, or there wasn't a salt fairy, you know, like these things that just happen, but there's people behind the scenes. It's kind of like making it the difference between walking into a cold room and walking into someone's home. You know, it seems like the Connect team in many ways are the ones that make us feel like we're at home. This is the one day of the week I don't have to make coffee as soon as I get out of bed in the morning. That means a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for you personally, you've been doing this for a long time, serving in Connect a long time. Uh, how do you feel like serving on the Connect team has affected your walk with Jesus? You know, I, I think I started to serve on Connect about the third or fourth week this campus was in existence. And I, I've served, I've set out a few quarters during that time, but, but I came in here really knowing that the church was starting, but I really didn't know anybody that was here. I knew a handful of people, just a few. And I, I came in and began to serve on Connect, and they told me, they said, well, your job is to make people feel welcome and to introduce people to the church, but what really took place and what continues to take place every week is I've got to meet people, and I've got to learn what family is all about. You know, there are people, and you guys know who you are, but there are people that are sitting in this service today that have invited me into your family. Mm -hmm. I've been a part of some really personal moments, and I, I got to tell you, I appreciate that. You don't know what that means to me. There are people here in the service today that my daughters, they are grown, but my daughters look to as if they're actual uncles and family members, and um, I got to tell you, walking into a place and not knowing anybody and being able to experience that, 
And I, I continue to experience that every week. I, I meet people, and one thing I have to say that makes me feel good is that I, I've had people tell me, you're the first person that spoke to me the first time I visited here. Mm. And, and that's, that's meant a lot to me, that, that they would remember that. And so for me, just serving on Connect ha has been a real experience of learning what it's like to become more and more a part of a family. Mm -hmm. That's great. So if, if someone out here, they, they want to get on board, how do you get involved in the Connect team? What's next? Well, you know, we're looking for members for the Connect team right now. We, we always are, and we've always got spots open. We never have too many people. But what I can tell you is if you're interested in serving on Connect, you can fill out a Connect card here. You can just write your name and let us know if you're interested in serving at the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock. Um, we'll have something for you to do. There are plenty of things to do. Uh, fill out a card. You can stop. I'm usually at the welcome table out here as you leave the service at the 9 o'clock. You can stop and you can talk to me. But all we need are, are people that are willing to be friendly. And I, I want you to stop and think, how does that make you feel when you walk in here in the mornings? What does that do for you when you walk in and somebody has coffee ready and somebody recognizes you and speaks to you by name? Um, I, I think that means a lot. It means a lot to me being on the end where I get to do that. So if you're interested in serving on Connect, all we're asking for is a commitment for a quarter. The new quarter has just started. And um, what, we, what we would prefer is that you attend a service and work a service but that doesn't work for everybody. And so we have a number of people that come in and serve and then come into the service once the sermon starts and, 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 then, um, and then leaves. And if that's what works, we've got a spot for you. There's something for you to do here. You're a part of the family and you're important to mm. what takes place here. Mm. Well, that sounds great. So if you want more information, fill out a Connect card or just come talk to you yep. after the service. Yep. Lots of opportunities. Yep, awesome. Work. Well, we thank God for you, Ron, your gift to our church. We thank you for what you're doing every Sunday. So. Thanks. Uh, Connect was the first place I ever served at the church because I didn't know anybody and I was lonely and I wanted to find a place to call home. And if you serve on Connect one Sunday, you'll leave knowing probably a dozen people at the church. And if you can hold open a door, you're qualified, right? So it's, it's, a real, it's one of my favorite ministries, low bar of entry, easy to step into, lots of opportunity. So uh, I hope you guys uh, consider what Ron had to say. Uh, today, we start our long haul through the book of Matthew. So welcome to the Gospel of Matthew, ladies and gentlemen. It's about to go down. Um, more so next week than this week. This is a little bit of the teaser trailer you'll see. Um, we're about to spend more time in one book than we ever have, and we're going to approach it in a way that we never have, because real simply, we want to become a people uh, that we've never been before. We want to go places in our faith that we've never been before. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to be able to kick it off today. The next few weeks, I won't be preaching. I'm not quitting. I'm not disappearing. We're anxiously awaiting the birth of baby number three at the Sage House. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you can be praying for my wife. Um, she makes it seem like pregnancy is real hard. I don't know. It's, it's been fine for me. You know what I mean? Um, but she's ready to go. Uh, and it's, we're in like that any day time right now, which means, you know, we're rearranging the house 
we've we've got a we've got more kids than we have house, so we're you know we got creative with moving the stuff in this room, and then we got to move rearrange the things in this room, and we could reuse the old blankets that we had for our first son, but wouldn't shouldn't we get a new sweet blanket for the new baby and all the stuff preparing? And um, I'll tell you, you know what I'm saying. I'll tell you. Uh, Preparing for baby number three is way different than preparing for baby number one. Because um, number three, it's like, you know, we'll probably run out to the mall at some point in the next couple of days and buy a cute blanket or whatever, and then we're like, here we go. Uh, for baby number one, you know, like, I, we spent a couple hundred dollars on books, which are like, how to, how to parent the first two hours your child is born. Um, and so we read all of the books. Uh, we went to classes, we met with counselors, we watched YouTube videos, we labored over the room, six different shades of blue for the one section of the wall in his tiny room, and we, we just had to get it all right. Um, I didn't know how many gadgets the modern baby needs, but there's lots of gadgets, and you, got, you can't just buy the gadget, you've got to read the review of which monitor and which monitor will sync up with your iPhone, but do, should, should we have one that does Android too, because our in-laws use Android. I don't know why. I don't know why you people still use Android, but some people do, so should we have it, you know, all of this kind of preparing, because, you know, it's like we're going to prepare so well that we will be amazing parents and we are going to get this right. Uh, and we spent a ton of energy getting ready for baby number one. Now, I'm not going to say all of that preparing was a waste of time. It, it wasn't quite a waste of time. Um, but all of that preparing uh, in no way compared to actually holding the child, right? Um, we read about parenting. We thought about parenting. We prepared to parent. And none of it holds a candle to actually beginning to parent. Um, which then maybe you feel guilty for those times that you corrected the parents in your community group before you had any children. Or It's funny how everyone who doesn't have kids thinks it's so easy or they've got it all figured out. And then you start actually doing it, and it, it blows your mind, the, the complexity of it. So simply put, preparing for parenting was not the same as becoming a parent. Something happens in your soul, even when it's like, I understand conceptually changing a diaper. Uh, something happens in your soul, your, your capacity to love expands. Uh, your, your capacity to care less about yourself, um, to, to be willing to lay yourself down for somebody else. Your plans and your priorities change. Maybe before you had to work really hard to reprioritize, and then this little baby comes, and you're like, "Why? I wouldn't even think about going and doing this. Something just shifts in your soul, that reading books and, and thinking, and it just doesn't come. This kind of experiential Transformation does not happen through simply reading information about getting ready to parent. And some of you guys are getting ready for your first kid, and this is all coming for you, right? Like, this will happen, and you will find all of the cliches are true. The things you promised you'd never say, oh, you just look at them and just love them so much right away. That's so stupid. And then you hold the kid, and you're like, I love him so much, and I just never, you know, like, all of the cliches are true. The transformation... The soul expansion, it happens through experience, way more than information. It's not to say the information isn't important, but it just it doesn't have nearly the horsepower to change you as the actual experience of it does. So part of the reason that we want to spend so much time in the Gospel of Matthew is because most of us have plenty of information when it comes to Christianity. I mean, we just have plenty of it. Um, if you've been around in this area for a while, uh, it, like 
Christian information is just, you, we're just in the splash zone of Christianity here. You can't avoid its impact. We have unbelievable resources on this wall out here that you could buy every Sunday. You can Google almost anything. There's, it's hard to find a question you can't get an answer for pretty quickly in the Christian life. Um, many of us have prepared to be a Christian. We bought the Christian gear. We learned the Christian logo. We've gone to the Christian conferences. We only listen to the Christian music. Um, and, and something, if we're honest, and this isn't for everybody, uh, I'm thinking for the people who've probably been Christians for 15 or 20 years at this point, there, there's something that maybe still feels a little bit off when it comes to your faith. Stuff like, uh, and you don't have to raise your hands, though I'm tempted to make you, um, anybody just feel bored all the time? Or when you, maybe it's community group, maybe it's coming to church on Sunday, and you just feel blah all the time, that nothing about the things of God excite you. Um, maybe you feel bitter and disenchanted with how your life has turned out. You look around and you feel like it should have been more than this, it should have been bigger than this, and, and you, you're upset with what God's done to you. Uh, maybe the Bible feels lifeless to you when you read it, if you read it at all. Maybe when you pray, if you pray, you know, it just feels like your prayers kind of limp lifelessly off the end of the bed and flop around on the ground. Maybe you're looking at things in your life that you've wished were different for years and years and years, and you're at this point where you just feel powerless to change. Maybe in your marriage, you feel completely stuck and like nothing is ever going to get better, and you're looking down the pipe wondering, how much more of this can I take? How much longer can we do this? Maybe... You feel paralyzed by fear and like God could never use you for something. All of these, and we could, I could go on for a long time with these kinds of symptoms. All of these are symptoms of knowing about Jesus but not knowing Jesus. Of having information about Christianity but not experiential relationship with Jesus. And the grand secret of the Christian life is not becoming smarter Christians. Though I'm all for that. Worship the Lord with our minds. I'm all for being intelligent. But the secret to the Christian life is knowing Jesus and experiencing his presence. The first promise that's fulfilled in the Gospel of Matthew is this promise that God's name would be God with us. His presence would come. In, in the middle of it, Jesus says, if you want to know where I am, it's where my people are. Where two or more gather, there am I with you. It's my presence. At the very end of it, the last promise he makes is, I will be with you always. It's the beginning, middle, end of Matthew. I am with you. I am with you. That's how we grow, in the presence of Jesus. That's where we get power, through the presence of Jesus. So we come to a, a book like the Gospel of Matthew. 60% of it is the words of Jesus. We want to soak in it. We want to use Matthew's glorious work to help us connect with Jesus. So the series won't be so much about mastering the book of Matthew as it will be about connecting with Jesus. And it's one of the reasons that Matthew is such an asset for us. He experienced the transforming power of the presence of Christ. And maybe you know a few things about Matthew. First, he was a tax collector. I mean, he was Levi, which meant he was not a popular guy. He was um, he was complicit in the oppression of his own people for an outside regime. He was not a likable guy at the time. But then he was called by Jesus. Levi becomes Matthew. And the guy is changed in the presence of Jesus. Before, 
uh, before the book was composed, his writings were widely distributed. So he, people knew Matthew used to be Levi. He spent time with Jesus, and we got to read what he has written for us. It was all over the early church, universally accepted, almost from day one, and was this book that we have now, Matthew, was likely completed around 60 AD. And if you're like, gosh, that sounds like a long time, just go do some research into how long of a gap we usually have between historical figures and their biographies. This is a blink of an eye. And immediately, people have accepted this. It was widespread all throughout the early church. So people were saying, we know the story of this man and the truth of his writings, and we want to read it so that what happened to him might happen to us. That's why we want to experience Jesus in the book of Matthew. We want this same kind of thing to happen to us, to come into the presence of Jesus and become something new. Biographies back then were written for slightly different reasons than today, and it's important that we remember this as as we go through Matthew. Um, You know, whereas today... uh, A biography might be written to tell like a play-by-play account of somebody's life, somebody's story. Back then, and this is a Greek influence that's all over uh, the book of Matthew, biographies were written to invite someone into discipleship. Uh, A biography was written to show somebody as being worthy of following. So we want to tell you his story in such a way that you see all of the reasons that you should be drawn to him. So it's not just a play-by-play of facts or a chronological retelling of a life. It, they were written to say, this is why you should follow this person. So there, practically what this means is that there are times when the history of Jesus' life in Matthew takes a backseat to the theology of Jesus' life. Um, Matthew's more interested in reinforcing Jesus' repeated call to come and see uh, than he is in saying this happened then. He's more interested in helping us see who Jesus is so we would follow him too. Then he is saying, here's the history of the life of this man who lived here. He wants us to see Jesus as someone worthy of being followed. And that's why his biography gets placed right here on the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the crucial link between the two. And so as we go through this series, there'll be several times where we step out of the book of Matthew to go look at the Old Testament and find some of these themes, find some of these um, promises that are being fulfilled in Jesus. And Matthew is showing us, this is one of the key themes, if you care about this stuff, of the book of Matthew, this idea of Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. I'll give you one quick example, and Bobby will go into this next week. Uh, So first, in Matthew 1.1, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, or the son of David, the son of Abraham. So I'm going to steal one thing from Bobby's sermon next week, because it's just so cool. The book of the genealogy of Jesus in Greek. Now, I hate doing this, right? Like, well, the Greek says, everyone hates when preachers do that. But this is like one of the coolest ones in the Bible, so I got to do it. It says the new Genesis, or it says the book of Genesis is how Matthew starts. The book of Genesis of Jesus, where he's saying like, this is a new beginning. There's something new happening here. It's calling us back to Genesis. And first he says, of Jesus Christ. Now, some of y'all about to have your minds blown, and I'm really sorry about this, but we got to do it. Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? It's not his last name. What was his last name? I don't know. If it was important, we would know. It's not important. Christ is a title. It is Jesus the Christ. It means king. It means the anointed one. 
Uh, so right off the bat, Matthew is saying something like this. He's saying this is the new beginning about King Jesus, the promised one, the anointed one. And then he gets really intense here. He says, the son of David. Well, if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, you'd be like, whoa, 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 I thought Jesus was the son of Joseph, right? He's a descendant of David. And back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David was promised. God made a promise to David that one of his descendants would be on the throne forever. So in the Old Testament, you'll hear this idea of people being like, you know, a descendant of David will come or a ruler of David. Like this was a hope. When they say son of David, they're saying the eternal king, the one who will rule forever. And so Matthew, again, this is verse one, you guys. He says, this is the new Genesis. And it's about Jesus, the promised king who will reign forever. He is the one who is the promise, the fulfillment of God's promise through David. He's the son of David. He is the eternal king. And then he's also the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham in Genesis 12 was told he would be a blessing to all nations, that through him all people would be blessed. And Matthew is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise too. There is an alarm bell ringing in Matthew 1.1. A biography is written to say, why should you follow this person? And Matthew's saying, I'll tell you why. Because he created a new beginning. He's the king. And he's the king who is for everyone and who will reign forever. He's the eternal king for everyone. He's the king for Jews like David and for non-Jews like Abraham, who wasn't Jewish until God made him Jewish. Why should we follow Jesus? He's the promised king who will reign forever and over everyone. So as we come into this, in each of our minds, uh, we need to set that this journey is fundamentally about knowing God and his promised King Jesus. Yes, I, I guarantee you, you will learn interesting things about Matthew, and we will provide great resources for that. They'll be trickling out throughout the series. There's some out there right now on the How We Grow wall. But knowing about the book of Matthew isn't the ultimate goal. It's seeing Jesus more clearly so that we might come to him, walk with him, and learn to obey him. So real practically, uh, we're asking you to start getting in the book of Matthew, not just on Sundays. Um, Like some of you know this, if if all of the time that you're spending in scriptures is based on what the person on stage is saying, like, that's just not sustainable for your own soul. It's not good for you. You know, you, you need to be soaking in this book. And so soak in the book of Matthew. And as you soak, I, ask, I want you to start asking some core questions that I, I think will help you see these repeated themes in the book of Matthew. So as you're reading, the first, what does this reveal about God in Christ? Revelation is another key theme in the book of Matthew. And over and over and over again, God is showing us what he's like based on what Jesus is like. So as we come across something, as you see a story about Jesus or hear the words of Jesus, learn to ask, how does this affect my view of God? What is this revealing about God in Christ? How is Jesus revealing a clearer picture of God? The second question, what, which character do I identify with in this story? There's a reason that so much of the book of Matthew is stories and narratives and not as much like explicit teachings of Jesus, though there are plenty of that, but these stories, uh, which character is God inviting me to identify with in these stories? 
There's so many stories in here because stories invite us to identify and they help us experience what's going on in the story. So what is this revealing to me about God? Another way to think about it is what is this revealing to me about myself? Which character do I identify with here and how does that affect the way I see me or what's going on in me? Third question, how is God inviting me to obey? Um, And now this is where some of our old our old legalism can creep up. You start getting the shakes, you know, about my to-do list and my shoulds and oughts. Uh, obedience, it's just, it's there and you got to do it, right? Like it's unavoidable in the Christian life. But I do want us to start maybe thinking about what obedience is in a slightly different way. So it's unavoidable. God says do this and we do that. But most of us come to it thinking that if we don't, we're in trouble. Or if we don't, God will be, you know, like... He'll kick us out of the family or something like that. I think, it, I think it goes something like this. And I'm not sure if anyone else works this way. So we'll either, you'll all be like, this is a brilliant illustration. Or you'll all be like, our pastor's crazy. So uh, I was out Christmas shopping. You know, it was Christmas however many weeks ago. And I went to some mall. I don't remember which mall it was. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but it was a mall. I think it was Oxmoor over in Louisville. But they had music playing, you know, not just in the stores, but like in the what do you call them? I don't know. The place where you're not in the stores and you're in the hallway? What do you call it? You know what I mean. The mall, just the inside mall part where you're in the mall, not in the store. And there's like quasi-dance music playing because it's Christmas and I guess if you dance, you have spend more money. I don't know. And as I'm walking, I found myself suddenly like walking to the beat of the music and then you start like strutting, you know, a little bit and it just feels good. Like the music's playing and you're like, yeah. And you kind of bounce along with it. And because for me, if I try to walk against the beat, it just feels kind of weird. Um, some of you jog. I don't know why, right? Like, but you jog. And you listen to music. And you listen to pump-up music. You don't listen to sad music while you run. I don't know. Maybe you do. And you find yourself running to the beat. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go put some headphones after this and find something with like a strong, real clear rhythm and try to consciously walk against it. And it just is kind of awkward. And I don't know why, but we, we want to be in sync with that. And you tend to, people get around one another, and we tend to find ways to get in sync with one another. Go get in a rowboat and row out of rhythm with the other people in the rowboat and enjoy the circles, right? Like, so there's, there's something about when, when there's that kind of beat happening, we get in sync with it. Now, there's a baseline that's running through all of Matthew's gospel, there's a beat that's running through all of Matthew's gospel. And it's, it's around this word all. Jesus has all authority over all nations and is worthy of all allegiance. You'll see this coming up over and over and over again. All nations, all authority, all allegiance. That's the baseline. Obedience, following Jesus' invitations, is about learning to walk in rhythm with that baseline. It's about learning to come in to rhythm with life as it's been designed to live. It's an invitation to a deeper reality. And life will be awkward, if not frustrating, if we don't learn to walk in step with it. So obedience is about God inviting us into the natural rhythms of human life in his kingdom. It's not about us appeasing this angry cosmic ruler. And so this baseline is inviting us to one final question. So again, when we start talking obedience through this whole thing, it's about us reclaiming our humanity in Christ. I mean, that's when we get to chapters 5 through 7, I mean, it is all about Jesus saying, this is how to be a human being. This is how to be who I've made you 
to be. And this baseline, come to me, follow me, I have all authority to go all places, invites us to ask a final question. I don't know, maybe it didn't make it. There it is. Who is God inviting me to bring along? Who is God inviting me to bring along? So listen, we've, as a team, we've worked harder than ever before on planning this series. Um, Yes, because we want you to see Jesus, absolutely. Yes, because it's a long book. Yes, because Matthew's complicated. Yes, all of that is true. Um, But also because we've noticed something when we look at our church. In so many ways, we're a healthy church. And if you've been here for a while and you try to look back to what was church like six years ago, what was this place like, what was happening here, it's, it's pretty amazing all that God has done here, and we thank him for it. Like, we're growing deep, we're serving our neighborhood, there's real signs of maturity, um, but the, the pastors see so much fear here, uh, insecurity about walking into the rhythms of the Christian life, particularly when it comes to inviting friends or co-workers, and not even just necessarily to church, inviting them over to dinner at our house, talking to them about Jesus or, or difficult things. And throughout Matthew's writing, we see an invitation to come and see over and over and over. Um, yes, this applies to each of us personally. We have to come and see Jesus. But once someone has come and seen Jesus, they go. And they go and they say to others, come see this man. Let me show him to you. Look what this man has done. Um, we, we know that this is hard to do for everyone. It's uncomfortable for everyone to go and do this, um, especially in a church like ours where we tend to preach through books of the Bible, like just the book of the Bible. And so maybe you want to invite a friend at work, but you feel intimidated. Uh, and you say, that, here's your pitch that we've equipped you with. We're going to go through Matthew for like two years. You want to come along? <laughs> and there's like four of you that are two-thirds of the way through your seminary degree that are like, yes, yes, I would love it. But for most of us, it's like, man, I don't read the Bible. I'm exhausted. My kids are a mess. My marriage is a mess. What do you, the book of Matthew, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? And, and you don't really hear that kind of talk in the Bible either. Hey, you got to come here, Jesus. He's preaching, a, he's preaching through the scroll of Isaiah at the temple. It's going to blow your mind. They, they say, come and see this man who told me everything about me. Come see this man who did this miracle. Come see this man who did this to me. There's a personal encounter with Jesus. And, and then someone goes and says, you've got to come and see Jesus because he did this to me. So as a church, we want to help you invite your friends by being more clear with what we're saying and what we're inviting folks into. So we've got this huge book. It's beautiful and it's glorious, right? Like we're huge fans of the book of Matthew, as with the whole Bible. We've broken it down into smaller mini-series based on the themes and the texts that are going on in there. So, like, we're always going to be a Bible church, or as the preaching arguments go, like, we're a depth proclamation church, right? But, but we want to break these down into miniseries based on themes and stories of those texts. So next week, we're starting the first one, which we're calling a crooked tree, making sense of messy families. And why are we doing that? Because the first two chapters of Matthew are all about Jesus' early years and serious family drama. 
We're right on the heels of holiday season, and we're looking out. It won't be long before we're in to Easter. Like, who do you know that has family drama, right? Who do you know that feels excluded from the story of God because of their last name, because of their skin color, because of what's been done to them, because of their economic background? Who do you know that's plagued by shame? So we want to be a people that can recognize what's going on around us and say to, say to them, hey, come, come see a man who came from a dysfunctional family. How many people that you work with know how dysfunctional the family of Jesus was? And like, listen, Travis is going to talk about this, but like Mary and Joseph were incredible. As far as we know, they were incredible people. But that was a weird situation, right? You know, God could have had his son come through someone who was already married, or he could have looked over at the angels and been like, y'all, why don't we wait till the wedding's done? We'll just avoid a whole bunch of this drama and insecurity. Let's just wait like a few months. Is that that big of a deal? This is deliberate. God chose to come into that. And then you get into the, the genealogies and you see rapists, liars, murderers. Like Jesus came from a dysfunctional family. Come and see what God does with someone from a dysfunctional family. Come see a man who is a king for everyone, regardless of your last name. Do you know he's the son of Abraham, which means that he's the king for everyone. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter who you are. Who needs to hear about that? Who is God inviting you to bring along? In your bulletin, there's an invite card that you can hand to somebody. And for those who are like really zealous, we got stacks and stacks of them sitting out on the welcome table. You can, you can grab more. The point is, this is a way that we're going to grow in following Jesus. And the, our role as a church isn't to invite the people in your life for you, but it's to try to give you the tools that you can walk in faithfulness and in obedience. Because, again, we think that's bringing ourselves in line with the baseline of God's reality. So we do a great job serving here in the church. We're growing in generosity. It's beautiful. We're serving the neighborhood. And this is something we think we're missing out, inviting people into life with God. So don't miss the opportunity before us. Let's pick up our Bibles and let's get into the, the book of Matthew. What does this reveal about God and Christ? What does this reveal, reveal about me? How is God inviting me to obey? Who is God inviting me to bring along? If we don't learn to answer those questions and experience Jesus, we'll be out of step with God's rhythm. And listen, life will be awkward and frustrating. Some of you know this. I don't need to say any more about it. When you walk away from God's design for life, it's frustrating and it's hard. If we learn to walk in step, we will see Jesus, the eternal for every one king. We will experience his promises and presence anew, and we will become like him. We will go places you never thought you could go, doing things you've never done, being people you only ever dreamed of, because that is the promise of our king. And in communion, we see who this king is, what he's done for us, and where he's inviting us. It's so beautiful how much is wrapped up in here. So on the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is what you mean to me. My body will be broken for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this. Remember what I've done for you. This seals your relationship with God. And think about how this fits in with that first promise of Matthew, that he would be called God with us. In communion, he gives us something tangible and edible to remember his body and his blood. We eat it, and and then something mysterious happens. This bread and wine, it literally becomes our body. It's turned into energy and cells and repairs our muscles and bones, and, and 
This is God saying, listen, I will be with you down to the cellular level. Remember what I've done for you so that I would draw so near to you. I would become you and you would become me and we would be one. Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread. You can dip it in wine or juice. Uh, wine will have twine wrapped around it, and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left. You're right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, let's come remember our hope together. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the gift of your word uh, that was given to us so that um, we might see you and experience you. We might see the beauty of your son and Come to follow him. Uh, we thank you, God, uh, for the, the thousands of nameless men and women that have preserved this over the years, faithfully keeping it, passing it along, um, spreading it, so that we could have something that is so um, reliable and consistent uh, and so that we can see you with clarity. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace as uh, we embark on this journey and uh, through all of the sermons, all of the next steps, all of the opportunities along the way, make us a people that want to see Jesus and become like him. Uh, fill us with a desire we, like we've never had before um, to know Jesus and become like him. Um, in your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers and enliven us uh, to the reality that you're with us even now, that your presence is in this room. Uh, and I pray that as we experience you, uh, we would find peace, uh, for whatever's waiting for us this afternoon or this week, uh, we would find hope in the midst of the places where we feel stuck or um, hopeless. And I pray that we would be changed as we experience your love for us and your nearness to us. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.